Welcome to the Big Geek Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Avis, and sitting with me on the couch to my left is my co-host, Nick Wright. And today we're going to be doing a tribute to Transformers. So um, we are doing a, a tribute show uh, for a, on a subject that's near and dear to both of our hearts. Sounds like either Ninja Turtles or Transformers. Or Ghostbusters, you might be thinking along those lines. Yeah, really, really any number of things, Super Mario Brothers, Nintendo. <laughs> no, right. No, no, Transformers is what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> our, our, this week's episode is all about Transformers. Uh, we're doing the format where we it's kind of like a little bit of a history. We're doing our tribute episode. And, you know, I, I thought... We, we, we've mentioned Transformers yeah, a number we, of we've times. Transformers, yeah, a number of times. So, yeah, so this will kind of differentiate it, I think, from the rest because we'll delve into more of the history of it rather yeah. than just we like it. Which is a lot of fun, you know, like mentioning things like, oh, our, fav- our top five favorite toys and everything is well and good. But th- this is like a full-on, like, beginning to end i mean not all history because as i was remarking earlier like the lore of transformers is way bigger greater than i ever imagined after doing a little bit of research for the show it's massive man it it, it rivals just about anything else i can think of including star wars you know it it goes deep 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 yeah because i i knew (laughs) i knew when you had said we were going to do this that you know obviously you were going to do your research and I knew you were going to get into things that you really didn't have a clue of, I, I think, in my opinion. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And uh, since this is such a big deal for both of us, I wanted to make sure we, you know, we're covering all of our bases. And I thought, hmm, who could we invite as a special guest that could help us fill in some of those gray areas, some of those dark spaces? And just... Who is the biggest Transformers fan? We probably either one of us know. Yeah, we've mentioned on the show a number of times. <laughs> yeah, who are we talking about? GB Blackrock. Oh yeah, the one and only. And uh, as it as it so happens, we happen to have him on uh, Skype conference right now. Uh, Mark, say hello, Mark. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm doing well. My brother, Mark. Mark, right? Um, Mentioned many times on the show before, and uh, happens to be the probably the biggest Transformer aficionado I happen to know. And I'm, I'm very honored to have you on the show this week. Uh, that that was very cool. I think that year we were all at BotCon, and there were people that recognized him just from like his profile picture from being online, from his forums. Uh, he's got the Transformers. Uh, tra- oh, I, I guess I should let you say it, the Transforming Seminarian, but may, maybe you should introduce uh, some of your blogs and whatnot. But the, well, that, they, they they recognized him as GB Blackrock. Are, are you GB Blackrock? Oh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's internet famous. We're in the presence of a famous Transformer fan, as at least as far as the internet is concerned. You're internet famous, Mike. <laughs> well, the Transformers online community has been going strong for so good. 20 years or more now, and I've had a blog for, oh my, about not quite 13 years, it'll be 13 in April, and when I started it out, it was Transforming Seminarian, as Nick said. I retired that about three years ago That's when right. I, 
no longer work through the seminary. I used to. Yeah, he's got the toy box now. Yeah, Black Rock's <laughs> toy box. Exactly right. And so that's where I keep my blog presence these days. I do features mostly on Transformers toys every couple of weeks. I occasionally have some other features. I'll be doing something on Mr. Rogers for the 50th anniversary of his neighborhood in just another week or so. Yeah, and it's it's a really well done blog. Uh, I, I, I anytime I see you have an update on uh, whether it be Facebook or Twitter, or whatever, I always have to I always go ahead and give it a read because I always learn something. Uh, you. So you know, uh, congratulations on that. I, it's cool to have a blog and a presence online, and you know, it, it also it gives you that outlet to kind of you know just talk about the things you like. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which is why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> Uh, and, and you've also been a supporter of the podcast, and for that, we thank you. You're very welcome. Yes, and, uh, you know, so you're familiar with the show. Uh, we're, we're just kind of kind of go in chronological order is typically how we do these podcasts. And, uh, you know, you, you've qualified yourself already. <laughs> a couple of blogs with Transformers-specific posts. Nick and I are big Transformers fans. I mean, we got the toys everywhere. You know, as much as we know and as big of fans as we are, I, I really, really think he is far more the expert than we are. Well, yeah. Mark to me is like with the Wikipedia expert. Like, I wouldn't need to check my phone or Wikipedia if I had Mark by my side. If I wanted to know something Transformers related. Yeah. So, we're building you up big time, Mark. <laughs> you realize, of course, half the time I'm writing about stuff, I'm consulting Wikipedia or actually more frequently the Transformers Wiki. If you don't know about it, you need to go to tfwiki.net. They have an amazing resource there. Yeah, he does do that, there's no doubt, because I'll ask him a question about something or other, and then he'll shoot me back a link from that TF Wiki. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Wiki, uh, Wiki or Wikipedia, it's it's you know, it's it's a good source, and a lot of most of my research either came from the Wikipedia or at Transformers Wiki site. I, I've visited that as well. Uh, so I guess we'll go without further ado. We'll just go ahead and start right off the bat uh, with Generation 1, which is um, probably the most popular of but, all iterations. But really, uh, Transformers, that really, it kind of predates that. G what we know as G1, it really started as a diet plan. Well, yeah, Diaclone was one of a number of toy lines that Takara and actually a few other Japanese toy companies created for, you know, making toy robots that would change into other things. Uh, somebody who's marketing at Hasbro had a look at some of the stuff that's being offered overseas, saw these transforming robots, and thought, you know, this is something that we could sell in America, too. But when they brought the concept over here, they didn't just bring the toys, but they decided that they needed to create a storyline that would go with it. And so what they did is they kind of took a page from their then-recent revival of G.I. Joe, have a partnership with Marvel Comics. So Jim Shooter wrote a treatment about what a story featuring robots would look like. Uh, that got picked up by a number of other people at Marvel. 
uh, Denny O'Neill, who's legendary mostly for his DC work with Batman, is famously said to have come up with the name Optimus Prime. But ultimately, it came down to the hands of Bob Budiansky, who edited a four-issue limited miniseries that introduced Transformers to the world. Uh, there was a little commercial that showed up on television uh, basically saying, here's Transformers, go buy the comic book. And that actually came out a little bit even before the toys did. It is a world transformed where things are not what they seem. It is the world of the Transformers. The Transformers, more than meets the eye. Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticon. Transformers, robots in disguise. Transformers, more than meets the eye. Transformers from Marvel Comics. So by the time toys started coming onto the shelves in the spring of 1984, there were already folks that were talking about this new Transformers thing. Right, and uh, so, you know, Hasbro, of course, wanted in on some of that sweet, sweet merchandise, you know, like, they'd seen what He-Man Masters of the Universe was doing. They had seen what Kenner was doing with Star Wars, and obviously the reissues of G.I. Joe said, let's get in on this, you know? And in fact, GoBots had already been out for, what, a year prior to the release of Transformers, and they sold quite well, too, if I'm not mistaken. They did come out first. Yeah, and, and they, um, it's funny because people kind of mock the GoBots as the knockoff of the Transformers, but they right. did come out first. Right, yeah. And, and a lot of those GoBots I actually owned and remember them you know, as being like knockoff Transformers, but they were, in fact, GoBots. But, you know, going back to that diaphragm's mind, the, <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing that uh, I find with that is that they all had, like, those little men that would, there there would be, like, some kind of a cockpit or something that would open up and the little men could ride inside. And that, that, that was, like, the big thing. That was especially true for Diaclone. Uh, there were, as I already said, a number of lines that Hasbro brought over. Yeah, and so it wasn't only Diaclone, but yeah, that that was the thing for the Diaclone line is that they had those little men, and because uh, you know, like uh, the Ironhide toy and Ratchet, you know, because everybody, you know, it's like they don't understand why. Well, why? Why do they look so ugly? And you know, they don't look a thing like that in the cartoon. Well, it's because that that was a little chair for the guy to sit in. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of, when they brought it to the States, they just kind of like slapped a face on it. And called it. And to be day. fair, Ratchet and uh, Ironhide were the greatest defenders, I think, of not, not really resembling very much their uh, yeah. cartoon I, counterparts. They totally redesigned the characters. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so let's let's talk about those toy lines for a second. The Diaclones. So like they were, if I'm mistake, not mistaken, they were kind of like the more the vehicles, like the cars. Right? Like Optimus Prime, was he not a Diaclone? Optimus Prime was. So were some of the Decepticons, though. Mm -hmm. The basic Diaclone, those are going to be the larger of the original Transformers toys, most of them. Not Megatron, but the jets and the cars. Yeah, well, and what set them apart is they were not sentient robots at all. That was the innovation that Transformers brought to it. But they were what's often called NECA. They were essentially large machines that needed human pilots to move them around. Yeah, and like Ironhide and Ratchet, and Ratchet 
They were they were just mechs. They needed the pilot. And speaking of mechs too, like weren't uh, the uh, the jet fire that we got? Didn't that come over? That that was another toy. Oh, line. Yeah, that's totally that's Robotech. Yeah, Robotech. Or yep. And uh, but was he the only one that came from that particular toy line? Uh, I think that Jetfire is pretty unique in that respect. Uh, he came from what was in Japan the Macross line that was already being run by a company that was a competitor to Takara in Japan. So even though Hasbro licensed the mold that was used for Jetfire, when they started using that basic character in the cartoon, they couldn't use the actual Jetfire toy design because it would have been free advertising for one of Takara's competitors in a country that was using the cartoon to advertise their toys. So Jetfire got a massive redesign so that he became what the cartoon was called Skyfire and didn't look anything like, well, fully broadly like the colors. robot <laughs> that, that Jetfire had in toy. See, this is the kind of inside baseball I was hoping to get with Mark. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, what line was like the cassettes from? Was was that that was was that micros? Microman. Okay, and they those, were the tinier ones, were, right? Like Bumblebee, Cliff Jumper. Makers, yes. Makers were also Microman. Okay. In fact, if you look at the original Gears mold, and I think one of the others, uh, I maybe Braun. I'm not. I don't. They're right off the top of my head, but I'm sure it's true of Gears. You'll actually see it molded in. M, letter M, on the robot, on the vehicle form oh. that actually for Microman at the time. Yeah, okay. uh, that mold yeah. changed when it came over as Transformers. They just slapped a few Autobot symbols on it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't that amazing how it really worked out? I mean, you had these different toy lines, and together they combined the Transformers. You know, they were under the Transformers umbrella, but because they were like different sizes, you had the different price points. Like if you couldn't afford the larger ones, then you could get, you know, the smaller ones, which right. were just as fun to play with. Right. It just worked out so well. I, I can't believe they, I mean, I know there's some very smart people that work for like, you know, Hasbro and they, maybe they did do it that way on purpose, but you know, it, it, at first blush, it feels like, well, we'll just grab anything we can and we'll just push it out there. But like, maybe they did that on purpose. They were like, well, we'll take the Microman because. You know, they're smaller and they'll be cheaper for people to get in. They'll be more entry-level toy purchases. Whether it was intentional or not, I do think it was intentional. It definitely set them apart from, say, GoBots, which basically only had two price points. You had the regular GoBots, all roughly three and a half, four inches tall, and the Super GoBots that were considerably larger, uh, whereas Transformers had already, by the first year, a good four or five different price points. And uh, I think you too, Nick, you'd mentioned uh, before in the past that the uh, the deluxe Insecticons were not of the original, you know, two or three, uh, from the two or three lines over in Japan. Like, they were from another company, and that's why they looked so different than the other Transformers. Like, they were just grabbing up whatever they could at that point. Uh, I think Mark can speak better to the, the deluxe Insecticons. I didn't really ever know too much about them. 
I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of the deluxe insecticons company that they originally came from. They're owned by Bandai now, the, the folks that actually got this. And Bandai, of course, both has a presence here in America and in Takara. So this is why you're almost never going to see the deluxe insecticons come out as their original molds, even in every issue. They may not even still exist, for all I know. Even if they did, the different rights would keep Hasbro or Takara from ever wanting to release them. Uh, they just... The regular Insecticons, though, the purple, black one, shrapnel, kickback, and bombshell, those were originally diaclone molds. They kind of had the little, and they had the little figure in it. it. True, they sure did. Uh, they were part of the Diaclone line, and so... Well, does, does that include the uh, Dinobots as well? Yeah, because each of the Dinobots has a little cockpit. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, those were... That's so cool. And and knowing that, it, having that knowledge now just blows my mind, because back then, it's like, you, they had like little cockpits that opened up, but you didn't have anything to put inside them. It was just another little mini part. No. Like for Optimus Prime's? case, it was like, that's just where you put the fists. Yeah, that was a convenient compartment for the fists not to lose them. <laughs> um, Did Swoop have a cockpit? Uh, oh, Swoop, you've got Swoop, so I have to defer on that one. I don't think he does. I'm not, I'm not sure, to be honest. Uh, Snarl for sure doesn't. Oh, wait, yes he does. No, he does. He does, he does. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, they all do, except for Swoop that I can think of. Grimlocks is like on his back. Everybody else is in their chest. So, when you talk about Generation 1, which spanned nine years, from 1984 to 1993, although in the U.S. Um, only ran, I guess, yeah, 1990? Yeah, well, there were the dark years after 1990 before Generation 2 started. The dark years. Uh, the dark years. We're still done in the UK, in Europe, and in Japan. Uh, so there is a sense that Transformers never stopped. But for the US, for most of the people who'll be watching this, uh, there were a few years in which Transformers simply ended. We didn't ever expect to see them again. And when Generation 2 came around, even though it was just a couple of years later, it was a surprise to everyone. Yeah. But the Transformers have not been out of stores ever since then. That was the only time that the U.S. has really been outside the loop in terms of Transformers. So the the, t- the original cartoon ran for, uh, let's see, I have just four seasons, and, and really the fourth season was just a like a miniseries uh, of, like, was it three episodes? Exactly three episodes, three birds. Which one was it? Season... Two that was like super long. Which one? Like, it had like two a was super long. Yeah, season uh, two was the longest. There were ninety-eight total episodes during that run, and uh, well, ninety-nine if you include the uh, Transformers movie, but we were not. <laughs> but yeah, ninety-eight episodes. That's it. And uh, you know, for all those years, it seems that I watched Transformers during its original run, and then again in syndication, feels like more than ninety-eight. But that—that's all we got. And it's essentially like two really long seasons, and then a third after the movie, right? Um, and then that little mini series that I don't really recall ever seeing when it originally ran. And I don't even really remember the third season very well at all. I, I, you know, I remember like bits and pieces of it, but I don't remember it like the original one and two. 
You know, and it's kind of sad, too, because I was watching uh, on the Transformers DVD, they had an interesting little featurette on the the people who were responsible for that fourth season. They had the writers, and they had this really cool concept, the story that they were going to do that was, I, they had it down to five episodes, I think is what they were going to do. It was five episodes, yes. Yes, and then I guess they decided, well, we, we can't do it in five. We have to do it in, like, four, and then they made it three. And they're like, oh, and by the way, you have to introduce this many characters. So yep. the writers, which who they had this really interesting story to start, it kind of got bastardized and it, it was degraded just to a lineup of characters. Yeah. And I remember watching that on the DVD and it was like literally like, you know, a scene would appear and there'd be like a group of Transformers and they would say their name and then disappear, never to be seen again. Exactly <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, and it's just a painful reminder of, you know, why these shows existed. And that was to sell toys primarily. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that there was some really cool, um, there, there was, there's more to just the cartoons, which was my personal favorite. Uh, the Marvel comic series, which ran for quite a number of uh, which issues. Which predated the cartoon. Predated the cartoon. Actually- was going to be just four issues, I believe, and then it just kind of continued from there. And to 80 issues, I think, is what the U.S. run. Uh, and then here's yeah, where it gets... was 80, yes. Thank you, Mark. And um, and then it gets kind of like muddy. Like in Europe, they managed to squeeze out, was it like 300 plus issues? I'm not really sure how they did that. In the U.S., a comic is... Roughly 22 pages, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on the specific issue you're talking about. But in the UK, they do, instead of comic books the way we understand them, more of a magazine. But they would do only half of a US issue in one UK issue. So already just reprint those 80 issues, you've had to double it to 160. Mm -hmm. They're also going to be reprinting all of the U.S. miniseries that came out. So G.I. Joe and Transformers, the Headmasters miniseries, uh, that was three issues. Those also got reprinted in the U.K. comics, again, at the basic rate, uh, most of the time, of two U.S. issues per one U.K. issue. But the U.K. comic, unlike the U.S. one, came out every week, whereas the U.S. one came out once a month. Okay, so math... There are a couple of extra weeks every month that the UK is trying to fill in for that the US didn't have, so they needed to start writing their own material. And so, especially in the front half of the UK line, the writer, Simon Furman, was doing basically interstitials, scenes that took place between the issues that we in the US got. So there is a far more fleshed out story in the UK, but again, it's the Line went on. They started going in somewhat different directions. Not everything quite lined up. Uh, Bumblebee was killed off in the G.I. Joe and Transformers series to be rebuilt as Goldbug, but they didn't reprint that in the UK immediately. So Bumblebee was blown up in a completely different way to be rebuilt as Goldbug. And so there are those little inconsistencies that creep in. But basically, the UK got a lot more stories. I kind of wish I like was a kid in Europe at that time. I was getting a, an issue every week. <laughs> but that that's interesting, Mark, because I was looking at the the run in terms of the span of years, and it was only like another year <laughs> than when the U.S. ended its run. 
So that's interesting yeah. that they got they they were just like flooded with stuff all the time. And they were getting things later than we were because we did print the stuff that we had first. Um, let's see. Um, so let's talk about the differences between uh, maybe maybe some of the characters, some of the arcs from the cartoon, the differences like in the the comic. Were, were there any major differences that you can recall? Ravage could talk. Ravage could talk. He didn't talk. Frank Welker. <laughs> Uh, Frank Welker and his animal voices. Yeah. He does them, yeah. <laughs> Any other? Yeah, especially the Marvel comic. Every Decepticon, every Autobot had a fairly lengthy speech saying, Hi, I'm so-and-so, and this is what I can do. And that included the animal cassettes that normally wouldn't have talked in the cartoon. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the Spike character from the cartoon, Buster. His name's Buster. That's right. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, okay. And, and Nick and I, you and I were, well, we were talking beforehand and uh, I was, I don't know for whatever reason, I was under the impression that you were much more, you, you were a reader of that original run of comics, but no, you were like, no, no, actually I was more of a, a reader of later, later runs. Of comics. Yeah. Mark, Mark was definitely the Marvel comics follower. And I just kind of, I looked at the pictures. There are certain ones I remember, like in particular, like, when you know we're at the grocery store like when dixie or something and uh you know on the comic book rack when there's such things yeah that there was the uh, the dinobot issue i don't mark could probably tell you exactly which issue this is and uh number eight, number eight. yeah number eight <laughs> I, I knew it was early around there and uh but yeah i, I remember seeing that and, and you know mark ended up you know that probably got bombed by whatever but that and was I, first comic we actually bought oh that was actually the first one. Oh, okay awesome yeah because i i just i remember flipping through that and just loving like the pictures and the, you know dinosaurs dinobots it was more course, transformers yeah yeah but yeah. i i never really read it though I and just you kinda, can draw them you can just... i would flip through <laughs> it and just kind of enjoy the artwork but mark's yeah. the one that read them but was there a particular fact... i'm sorry go ahead mark no, I was just saying, in fact, uh, my screen name, GB Blackrock, is taken from a Marvel Comics character. It's one of the humans who is an ally to the Autobots. Right. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I, I've, on a number of occasions, meant to ask you, Mark, where did that come from? Now I know. What was, like, that, uh, like, supervillain, that girl with the electricity or whatever? Circuit Breaker. Circuit Breaker, yeah. That was Circuit Breaker. So what about the uh the so as far as the comic, obviously you're gonna get fleshed out more more detail, more story because it's a comic book. Uh what what is more of the origin of the of the Transformers in, in terms of was did it line up pretty closely with what we got in the original couple of cartoons from Transformers, the cartoon series? Well, you actually got several different origin stories depending on when in the comic you're looking at. In the first issue of the Marvel comic they gave a very throwaway bit about naturally occurring gears, levers, and pulleys. Then later comics after the movie came out, which we'll probably talk about more later, uh, they introduced Unicron and Simon Furman decided to give Unicron an opposite member in Primus. And Primus was essentially the god of light, while Unicorn was a god of darkness, 
And in their never-ending battle, Primus trapped Unicron in an asteroid that Unicron eventually became the metal giant that he was, whereas Primus trapped himself in a different asteroid that he turned into Cybertron itself. And Unicron developed the ability to transform into a super giant planet robot. Primus instead populated the planet he had become with the Transformers. Now, of course, in the cartoon, they come up with the Quintessons that built all the Transformers. Uh, very different. Some continuities have tried to merge the two where the Quintessons took what Primus had started and then used it for their own ends. But now you're getting into different continuities and deciding which ones you want to take, which bits out of. Hey, I give them credit for attempting anything at all in the cartoon, I guess. Because <laughs> it's not like they were selling Quintesson toys. So, you know. Oh, no, certainly. Good for them on that. Uh, you brought it up, Mark. Let's talk about the uh, feature film, the Transformers the Movie, which we could spend some time talking about. Which came out on his birthday. It did indeed. August 8, 1986. Uh, now, so this was the tape, I don't know if you'd say it was more like the peak, I guess, popularity of Transformers. Is that fair to say? Um, probably yes. It was actually created back when the original first run of the series was still being made. And so although they were trying to introduce a lot of new characters that didn't actually come out in stores until the time of the movie, you get little oddities creeping in, like Devastator is the giant robot they're using rather than the more recent Stunticons or Combaticons. Uh, But it was arguably the time at the height of the Transformers' popularity. Uh, While it still hanged, was was still doing things for another five years after. It was more or less in decline in the years after that, I'd say. The cartoon stopped being a force about a year later. The comic was still going on, but of course, as good as it was, it never had the reach that the cartoon had. Yeah, that was going to be my point, was uh, the movie was actually a huge flop commercially. It, it did not do well. It, it only... It only grossed five point eight million, which you adjust for inflation is thirteen million in today's dollars, which is not good. Um, now today, to to measure that is probably not fair because nowadays you have Pixar, DreamWorks, you know they're they're going to make more money. It's it's a different climate. Animated movies like they're it's just different. It's not fair to compare them, but you gotta you gotta say that was disappointing. And like you say, I guess you know. And for me, I was I could not forgive Transformers the movie for killing off too many of my favorite. Characters. Well, and that, that's kind of what I, I was going to get at here. Would you attribute the decline in Transformers after the movie with the introduction of all these new characters because they want to sell these new toys? Yeah, and then but in doing that, doing away with all the characters that we love. Serious, violently, I might add. They they learned it within the year. Hasbro, especially in killing off Optimus Prime, traumatized kids everywhere. I fear the wounds are fatal. Prime, you can't die. Do not grieve. 
and used the power of the Matrix to light our darkest hour. I mean, there, there, are, there are stories out there about kids coming out of the theater in tears because Octopus Prime was killed off. I don't even remember feeling that. Oh my god, I was devastated, dude. I cried, I think. I did not like it at all. And I didn't see it in theaters. I just kind of sat there and took it all in. I don't remember really feeling one way or another. It was just kind of like, well, I'm in. (laughs) Anyway. To make matters worse, they were already in the middle of producing season three by the time Transformers the movie came out. So they'd already done this episode called Dark Awakening that basically brought back Optimus Prime's corpse as a tool of the Quintessons, only to blow him up again at the end of the story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Um, uh, they, they reversed course almost as soon as they could, but <laughs> because it takes a long time to make cartoons, that meant that essentially it wasn't until the very very end of season three that they came up with the return of Optimus Prime. And in order to do that, they actually had to ignore half of the continuity they set up at the end of Dark Awakening and just kind of hand wave it and say, oh no, the body's still here. It's pretty much intact. Let's just take it off. <laughs> hey, he's here. He's back. And who cares? <laughs> That's pretty, you know, they messed up bad when they do that. I mean, and yeah, I guess nobody was lining up to buy Rodimus Prime. It, you know, I mean, the toys just weren't as good. <laughs> no, they were making Joe movie, the animated GI Joe movie, at the same time, and it was coming out just after Transformers the movie. The reaction to Optimus Prime's being killed was so bad that <laughs> even though they were killing Duke in the GI Joe movie, they hand-waved it and wrote a few lines that basically said, okay, he's just in a coma. Don't worry, everybody. <laughs> he's in a coma. <laughs> I remember reading that too, Mark. And uh, I did see the GI, I guess it what came out a year or so later. And uh, not, you know... It, it only went straight to video. It never came to theaters because Transformers movie did so badly. Well, yeah. That, that, that makes sense. It really does. Uh, but yeah, they, so yeah, he just, he was fine. He was just in a coma and then he reawakened at the end of the movie and hey, happy ending. <laughs> He's fine. <laughs> Keep buying our toys. <laughs> you just hear a voice in the background. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> like an ADR. <laughs> it's a flesh wound. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like, let's talk about the, uh, those toys, the, uh, Ultra Magnus, which, it was weird to me at the time because it was just like a repaint of Optimus Prime with a different trailer, and I did not like how he became a robot. Like he was just—it was like an exoskeleton that he fit inside, and then you put a helmet over top of him, and it's like boom, Ultra Magnus. I would almost say I kind of like him better than a lot of the other ones. Well, the last Diaclone figures. I mean, again, the mold was never created with the idea of having a completely new character in mind. It was supposed to be just a tool, a robot that was built in the same basic mold as Optimus Prime was, that is to say the the truck that it didn't have the name Optimus Prime and Diaclone of course, and so having that truck robot be part of a larger robot makes sense when you're talking about machines and mecha 
it works a little less well when you're actually talking about distinct characters. Yeah. I can totally see that. Well, uh, they, they did get a few characters okay. I mean, like, Hot Rod was a success, I would say. He was, he was fine. Yeah, the Hot Rod was, like, the one toy I did, like, from the movie. Uh, Cup was an okay character. I, I hated how the, the legs seemed to be fused together on a lot of those toys. They, they didn't, they weren't very much fun to play with. The movie characters, other than Ultra Magnus, if they were introduced in the movie, the toys that came out for them were designed exactly in reverse from what had been done for all other Transformers to that point. Basically, when you design a Transformer, you design the ultimate mode first, that is the car or the plane or whatever, and then you figure out how do you make a robot out of it. For Earth, Hot Rod, Cup, etc., they had the robot design first, and they had to figure out how to design a vehicle mode out of it. Mm. And so those toys are just a completely different design philosophy. Oh, yeah. Galvatron toy is terrible. It's pretty bad. Uh, but, you know, let, let's go back and talk about, I guess, some some nicer toys. Like, what... Uh, Nick, I think we've talked about, you know, what our favorite G1 Transformers were. Mark, Mark, what were your... Like, if you had to pick out a favorite oh, or a God. top three... I know, I know. No pressure. No pressure. But who who would you... <laughs> If you could, if you were, if you were trapped on a desert island and you could only have three transformers, and let's just say you had a bookshelf on that desert deserted island, and you had some space to display them, who would you take with you? What would be the three from G One anyway? Oh, I, I, I am going to stick to G One. I'll start with Bumblebee, who, being one of my first, always has a kind of warm place in my heart. Sure. The other two um, that we actually haven't talked about for any reason yet would be. Metroplex, the city transformer. Yeah. I remember buying it at local Toys R Us and riding it home. I didn't have a basket in my bicycle, but I was kind of hunched over the handlebars with the box <laughs> between my body and the handlebars, riding something home. Uh, that yeah, we, I saved up all my money. Yeah, we took turns doing that. Uh-huh. The other one would be Fortress Maximus, which I didn't have in the days of G1. But we actually found the body, the most of Fortress Maximus, at a yard sale while we were visiting family in California. Oh, at a yard sale! For how much? Five bucks. Wow. So Now, Fortress Maximus was like... like now we, still had get, we still had to get Cerebros, the head for it, a few of the other parts, and so by the time we finally assembled everything, I still have it, uh, it cost more than $100, I'm sure, but the first part, we were in awe. Yeah, he, he was amazing. Like, of course, Fortress <laughs> Maximus is the 22-inch <laughs> gigantic uh, headmaster whose head, his head also had a headmaster, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, we want to figure out how to get that home, too. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, did we, you transform we, it and then just roll it? He was still like, ride home. it home. Yeah, you know, he was still at home at the time, and, and we were on vacation in California. So yeah, we had to um, shove it in his luggage and find place for his clothes. And <laughs> in terms of desirability, I liken it to the uh, aircraft carrier toy from the GI Joe line. It's just, right. it's like a unicorn, man. <laughs> Nobody had it, and you just well, drooled that over it. Huge. Well, yeah, that one's gigantic. You could lay on that like a mattress. You could put a mattress on top yeah. of it, sleep on it. Um, 
but yeah, the the Fortress Maximus. So you you were really uh, in all of the really bigger Transformers. Like I, Nick, you made the observation in the past that like some of my favorites were like the big ones, like the bigger the Transformer, like the more I liked it for whatever reason. <laughs> like I I love Metroplex as well. Uh, didn't have Fortress Maximus, but well, Trypticon. Who didn't like the Gestalts? Oh, the Gestalts they, are amazing. Now, they, how do they the Gestalts work? Ones. Are those Diaclone as well? They are. Most of them are, I should say. Not all of them. Uh, they came from a later... Or, let me rephrase that, because that's not entirely true. They were designed for Diaclone. But other than the Constructicons and the train bots, which never came out in the U.S., they're strictly in Japan, they were not released as part of the Diaclone line, but were released originally as Transformers, despite being designed for, for Diaclone. And they were part of what is called Scramble City. <laughs> Which essentially was trying to highlight the fact that you could take a limb off and put it on either another limb, that's a right arm becomes a left arm or a leg, or you could put it on a different Scramble City robots. You could take an arm from Superion and stick it on Menestor. So those toys were designed to do that even originally. Like they, that's not a unique like Western trait. The the, the Gasol. No, just like how they they're doing them now. You know that they kind of advertise that you can kind of mix and match them. Yeah, and it's a very Voltron thing to do, really, too. If you think about it, I mean, they're just combining to make a giant robot. So. I don't know. In my head, I was thinking for some reason, like, well, maybe they did that just in the U.S. Like, that was a U.S. thing. But I love the good stuff. Uh, they're they're, we, they're we without a doubt. Much there. <laughs> um, why did they make the Gestalts always dumb? Did it not seem that way? Like, the bigger they are, like, the dumber they got? Yeah. Oh. Well, the idea there, especially with the first Gestalts, so say Devastator, for example, was that if you were to take six different minds, six, six different personalities, and try to get them all to work together, well, you're probably going to have little disagreements. No, I think we should shoot this Autobot first, or we should step on that Autobot. And so those kind of internal disagreements would end up resulting in a slower, perhaps not as intelligent, single... <laughs> That's amazing, Mark. That was mostly a throwaway comment, but you had a very well thought out, reasonable explanation. I knew there that. was an answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Uh, all right. So uh, I think we covered, for the most part, uh, all of Generation 1. Is there anything that you can think of, Mark, of interest that I didn't bring up? Well, the thing that you probably need to... Uh at least give some lip service to. We've already talked about Transformers declining a bit after the movie. What happened is that they kept up trying to come up with different gimmicks that you could add to the Transformers to give them a selling point, besides just being able to change from robot to Pretenders. Oh. I did not like the Pretenders. But you, what you ended up having, not just a particular gimmick not working, like you mentioned Pretenders, but 
every transformer out in those later years fell into one of only maybe a couple of gimmicks. So you had everything was a pretender or a micromaster. And then the year after that, everything was either a micromaster or an action master. Now, I probably should talk about action masters. They are derided amongst Transformers fans as the... (laughs) (laughs) The idea was it gave Hasbro a way to fairly inexpensively reintroduce some classic characters alongside some new ones. Uh, So you get a little Bumblebee three-and-a-quarter-inch figure alongside Optimus Prime 1. But then you've also got alongside Devastator three-and-a-quarter-inch figure. So Bumblebee is the same size as Devastator now. So somebody can think of that. But the idea then was that they would always come with a weapon or a vehicle that transformed. So there was still a transforming element to these toys. And they came up with some fiction to explain why the robots themselves didn't transform anymore. (laughs) It was a bold experiment. It ultimately didn't work. The line did fail. But it wasn't just that they came up with this terrible idea. It was also that they were now in competition with things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or Power Rangers, which were now starting to come into ascendancy. And they no longer had the uh, cartoon to rely on. Hasbro decided they didn't want to invest any more money in the cartoon. They figured they'd made as much money off of that advertising as they were likely to get. Um. Okay. Well, I think that, I mean, I don't want to move too hastily on from Generation 1 because it is what, you know, most people always... I mean, even the things that are successful nowadays are just more or less hearkened upon Generation 1 popularity, at least for me. You can't understate how popular Generation was, how much it means to, you know, people like us. It was everywhere. Transformers was all over the place. Cartoons, lunchboxes, bedsheets, you know, it had a mood. Watch, yeah. I remember those being like a pretty hot ticket item. You either so, you either uh, had one of those or the calculator watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean they all headed everywhere. I mean there was like the little uh, cassette players. I mean you see it like big lots. It would look like Soundwave. Just all kinds of different merchandise. I would always get excited when I would see a transformer in a movie, like in Flight of the Navigator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or even in Top Gun, like, Goose's son shows up with a Starscream toy. I mean, how perfect is that? <laughs> but, you know, Generation 1, it, it's 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 like a seminal part of my childhood, honestly. You know, uh, if, there's a, if there's like a Mount Rushmore of toys or just anything 80s for me, I guess Optimus Prime would be right up there on that thing. And, uh, you know, I, I love it. It's... It's amazing. Obviously, we all agree Transformers was a great thing. Um, so, from there, you know, Mark talks about the dark times, I guess. You know, like, we get, we get, uh, there's that, and then Generation 2 comes along, which kind of, I feel like Hasbro was, like, dipping their toe back in the water. Like, is there, a, you know, an interest for Transformers again? Well, that's very much the question. Well, what they did with Generation 2, they started with just re- reusing some of the old molds, maybe with some new weapons, different colors. They also then, after the first wave came out, brought over some molds that had only been released in the UK, but that we had never seen in the US. Actually, I should, rem- should mention, 
uh, we already had said that the line continued in the UK and in Europe, not just the UK, but most people talk about the UK for whatever reason, maybe because of the comic that was over there. They actually had the distinctive, what we call Generation 2 Autobot and Decepticon faction symbols before Generation 2 actually started. I don't know why they introduced new logos over there, uh, but when Generation 2 started, we adopted those and, again, brought some of those molds over. Uh, we did get a new mold in terms of Megatron because uh, values and laws and basically what would be considered safe to sell to kids uh, no longer permitted a realistic hand weapon to be sold to kids uh, that somebody might, you know, confuse and think that the kid was brandishing a gun or something. Yeah, so understandably, I guess. Hit the bullet and came up with an all-new mold and made Megatron a tank. Tank's fitting. Yeah, he still, you know, had the large cannon, and I didn't hate the tank. He's fine. I did. I, I did take issue with the paint jobs though that they landed yeah. on with Generation Two that. They looked so cheap. Why Why did they repaint them like that? Some I liked, but some were just gaudy. Yeah. You know, like the mini cars that had, like, like the little bumblebee down there, that, you know, the gold. That, you know, those were really cool. And uh, Oh, yeah, the chrome? The, yeah, yeah, the chrome wheels are real shiny. And, uh, you know, and some of them, like uh, Starscream, you know, he looked fine. But then yeah, they, the Combaticons had a weird kind of camouflage to them. Uh, oh yeah, they did. And they were like colors like yellow and red, and you know, it just was terrible. But I mean, they weren't even as gaudy looking as like the Stunticons that were never released. Well, I don't. Yeah, I didn't see those. <laughs> Mostly, you're just looking at signs of the time here. If you look at other toy lines that were popular in the early '90s, like that, a lot of the Teen Titans material stuff. In fact, they did. <laughs> We're right. talking about the early '90s here, yeah. Oh, who was it? Uh, Thundercracker, the the Thundercracker that was oh, never released. Thundercracker. <laughs> now this was only in the UK. It, it actually wasn't even part of G2. It was again that time before G2 started. You'll have but, to find a picture of that. Put that up. On Thundercracker. Screen. Yeah. Okay, G2 we'll, Thundercracker. We'll get you G2 Master Master Thundercracker. Yeah. This one does need a visual. Huh? Uh, <laughs> the Thundercracker was historically. A blue jet. When they decided to repaint the existing Starscream Action Master, which we did for the U.S. Action Master line, they decided to use the character Thundercracker, who used the same mold as Starscream, but give him this absurd kind of pinkish red and bright neon green. He's and everywhere. I have seen that. Yeah. He's looking color scheme that will blind a young child. I don't know what they were thinking, but that's how they released it. He's kind of like the Dan of the Street Fighter Lord, too, right? Didn't, isn't he like sort of a joke? A bit like, oh, he was introduced, like they, they purposely made a uh, Transformer with that thing. I don't know, I might be, I might be thinking of something else. I don't know that story, so I can't yeah. remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he became a joke, certainly, because yeah. he exists, but I can't speak your joke. Okay. Um, okay, so I, I, was, I wasn't I was sure if there was like some sort of licensing issue or... or I, I don't know. I could not imagine why 
they painted him that way, but your explanation makes sense. Just being something very potent. Yeah. Um, okay, so another exciting thing, too, about Generation uh, 2 was I got to start seeing the cartoons show up back up on the air. And I remember this. Like they, they, All they did, basically, was take the old shows, pretty much unchanged, but they kind of slapped a wrapper around it with some CG effects. The Cybernet Space Cube. Striving to save the world from the evil Decepticons, the heroic Autobots are led by Optimus Prime. He's more than meets the eye. He's a robot in disguise. Going ballistic to destroy the Autobots and conquer mankind, the evil Decepticons are more than meets the eye. And now, through the magic of the Cybernet Space Cube, the computer-enhanced stories of the Transformers, Transformers Generation 2. Oh, yeah. Which basically bad even for the time. Scene transitions. They could also toss in some side animation into the corners. It was a way to refresh the old cartoon, repackage it, so they didn't have to spend a whole lot of money, but they could get the advertising out there. Yeah, and uh, and you know, and as a fan, I was very happy to see him. I was I was happy to be able to see him again because this is this is pre DVD, so you know, any opportunity I could get to see those shows again was welcome. And uh, apparently, according to my research, they released 52 of those original in 98. I'm guessing maybe that's the majority of season one and two, if I had to guess. Yeah, no, three, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, okay. There being any season three episodes in that set. Uh, admittedly, this is when I was in college. I didn't have the opportunity to watch television quite as much at that point in time. Apparently, too, there was a 12-issue run for Marvel Comics. I have the... And so what what was the deal with those? Were they just kind of re reprints of the first 12 Actually, issues? This was an all-new story. And what they did was they started with a few issues of the G.I. Joe comic, which had never stopped printing at that point in time. And so they reintroduced Megatron, who last we knew had been on board the Ark, the Autobot spaceship, as it re-crashed into the Earth near the end of the U.S. comic. The uh, G.I. Joe comic suggested that Megatron was still alive on Earth in some disrepair, though, so hadn't really done too much. Saw a castle that Destro had built that had itself the ability to change shapes, thought it was another Transformer, and went to investigate. Megatron soon finds out that it's not a Transformer at all, a little upset about that, and starts attacking Cobra. But Cobra Commander manages to convince Megatron to stop attacking them in exchange for a new body. So that Cobra then rebuilds Megatron into the tank form that he had in Generation 2. And the idea was that Cobra could also benefit from advanced Cybertronian technology in the bargain. Uh, it Megatron. sounds like Cobra. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, how can Cobra Commander convince Megatron sounding like he does, sounding like Starscream? <laughs> Good point. Crossover. Greetings, Starscream. Greetings, Cobra Commander. Have you come to negotiate our deal? The one that will bring about the end of the shows and Megatron? I have indeed. I trust, then, that you will accept the agreement. Not so fast, Cobra Commander! We need a plan! 
think I don't have one? Well, do you? Of course I do. Yep, same actor. You R. sound R. awful <laughs> familiar. If I didn't do that joke, that would have worked very well, though. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Long story short, Megatron gets away. Cobra does not get any of the Cybertronian technology to speak of. Uh, and they don't do any more real crossovers after that. Uh, Megatron then shows up in the Generation 2 comic, uh, which premieres a few months later. And the Generation 2 comic suggests that there is another faction of Cybertronians out there that continued to evolve in space while the Transformers that had been caught on Earth and on Cybertron more or less went stagnant. So you've got Autobots and Decepticons fighting each other on Earth and on Cybertron, while the Cybertronians, who are for all intents and purposes another generation of Decepticons, are doing an expansionistic Cybertronian empire. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the details of how it turns out. Like I say, it only lasts for 12 issues. Uh, It was Marvel's attempt to bring Transformers back. They decided right at the get-go we're going to commit to 12 issues, but if it's not a huge success, we're stopping it right after that. It wasn't a huge success, they stopped it right after that. Hmm. Well, thankfully for us, that wasn't the end of Transformers. Um, Because right after Generation 2, we got the introduction of Beast Wars, which uh, ran from uh, 96 to 99. And even though I was not myself personally a, a big fan of Beast Wars, uh, it, it was nice to just see some familiar... Well, it was just nice to have Transformers back. And not in a repackaged way. Like It was like legit good from what most people say. you got to understand, Generation 2, while by no means a failure, was decidedly a disappointment for Hasbro. Now, about the same time, Hasbro bought out Kenner and decided to send all of their boys' toys lines to the Kenner brand. So Kenner decided that if we're going to keep Transformers going, we need to try something radically different. And so they decided that they were going to take all of the characters and instead of transforming them into mechanical forms, as had always been done for Transformers to that point, they're going to transform into beasts. Now, these are not beasts like, say, the Dinobots were beasts, but actual beasts with fur and muscles that would theoretically look like real animals when they were transformed. Now, they're still plastic toys, but the idea is that they are somewhat more organic-looking forms rather than mechanical for a change. Mm -hmm. This was a huge success. It also was accompanied by a cartoon, which was one of the earlier CGI, all CGI cartoons. Yeah, that's that's that, that's right. Yeah, I remember thinking like, wow, this is really neat. The technology was fairly new and very expensive. So what that forced them to do is have a very limited cast. So whereas the Transformers cartoon, the original one, had dozens and dozens of different characters, the Beast Wars cartoon could only have a dozen or so 
total. And that was essentially the way for the entire run of the series. It was almost a case where if a new character was to be introduced, they almost had to always kill off an old character to make room for it. Hmm. It's not a one-to-one, but they they had to keep the cast size small, which meant that the series focused a lot more on the characters, their personalities, and only secondarily on the conflicts itself and the situations they find themselves in. This revitalized the franchise. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that if there were no Beast Wars, Transformers would have died in the mid-90s. Fair enough. That's fair to say. Uh, so yeah, it ran for three seasons for 52 episodes. Um, the factions were not Autobots and Decepticons, though. They were Maximals and Predacons. That's right. And they were actually descendants. I don't know if I got that right, but they were descendants of the Autobots and Decepticons. They put some dialogue in the cartoon that said that what they called the Great Wars were 300 years previously. Mm-hmm. Next, they are very wiggly about what that means for the present of the Maxwells and the Predacons. But it almost didn't matter because all of the action that we saw in the cartoon took place via time travel where they found themselves in Earth's distant past. In fact, between the time that the Generation 1 Autobots and Decepticons crash-landed on Earth and when they woke up. So uh, at the end of Season 2, they find the Ark and actually get inside. And East Wars version of Megatron shoots Optimus Prime, who's still comatose, in the head to destroy him. Wow, I did not know that. (laughs) This threatens to cause a major time disruption. The Maximals essentially get in, they repair Optimus Prime just in time so they can kind of set things back the way they were supposed to be. But then the entire third season of Beast Wars is protecting the future from attack from the Predacons. Wow, that sounds like I should probably check that out. Yeah, see, Marcus told me this before, and I've I've never gone and seen these, which um, I've sold, I'll be honest, I've sold Beast Wars short because of my prejudice, I guess, for Generation 1. You know, I I saw a few of the early episodes, but I just never really got into it. But, you know, where he's talking now is, sounds like where I would really get interested, and I just I haven't gone back and, and watched it. And, uh, I like well, that I they focused a lot on characters and story. I'd totally watch it if it was on Netflix. Oh, it's not on Netflix? Not that I know of. Nah. I don't know that it's still on Netflix. It was once upon a time. Oh, was it really? Oh, I missed it. Casper does have a, a, a streaming service. I think Shout Factory might have them. Uh, look, look up either Hasbro or Shout Factory. See if they've got a streaming channel on Roku, and you might still be able to find them. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, so we'll just move along then to the Beast Machines, which I guess was a follow-up to Beast Wars. And it was. From what I understand, it was not as successful as, as the Beast Wars. Beast Machines at the time was extremely extremely controversial. It took place immediately after Beast Wars. The Maximals and remaining Predacons uh, left Prehistoric or got back to what was for them present-day Cybertron. But in their journey home, 
Beast Wars Megatron escapes, gets to present-day Cybertron before the Maximals do, and does something. It actually, the, the show starts in the middle of the action, so you have to actually find out what Megatron did as the show goes on. But he does something to wipe out essentially all life on Cybertron so that the Maximals are the only ones there to try to fix things when they arrive. And there is some fairly deep spiritual stuff going on there, what passes for Transformer spirituality. Uh, it tries to get very philosophical. Uh, it's a show that actually holds up much better today than it did at the time. The changes were so radical at the time, certain characters were seen to be acting in ways that it was not believed that they should be acting. Um, it, it is not an exaggeration to say that some angry fans made death threats of the people who were writing it. It got really, really bad. Wow, <laughs> man. Well, I, super fans, you know, they act crazy like that sometimes. Sad to say that the, the, the line of reality gets blurred for these people. But, you know, I, I wasn't able to find a lot of things on these machines, and I, I honestly don't really remember it even existing. It, I have on DVD, but I have not actually finished watching all of them in many years. Uh, so It did run for two seasons, though. And I could have told you that that was the follow-up to Beast Wars, but that's it. Yeah. The toys returned to more vehicular forms, but also with some of the Beast concept going on in there. They had a lot of translucent plastic, which also fans don't tend to like real well. Yeah, I made a note to myself that um, among fans, it's probably the the worst, the, the least favorite among fans. And maybe that's because of how divisive it was. I don't know. Like I said, I think it hope that, that people look back on it if they bother to do so, and if they give it a second chance, they find it's not as bad as they thought it was. Mm. But it was very divisive at the time. And it is actually the end of what can legitimately be considered the original continuity. Recognizing, of course, the comic and the cartoon for Generation 1 weren't in the same continuity. Uh, we sometimes refer to them as continuity families <laughs> to try to file some of that. That's interesting. But after Beast Machines, the next cartoon is in a completely different group entirely, is not in continuity with what came before at all. Yeah, are you referring to Robots in Disguise? I am. <laughs> now, what the Robots in Disguise was, was the folks in Japan did a cartoon for Transformers. They'd already done ones that we never got. They had a couple that were during Generation 1 for the Headmasters, what's called Master Force, the Victory Saga, Zone. That was all still Generation 1. Then the Beast era, they had two different Beast Wars series that ran kind of alongside ours. Uh, those were more traditional cell animation kind of stuff. They didn't do Beast Machines at all. I think they showed ours and did a dub of it. But they did what was called Car Robots, which was completely on their own. Again, completely new. 
Now, the Japanese have decided to shoehorn car robots into Generation 1 continuity now, but it didn't start out that way. It was not intended. We took car robots and hired the folks that... <coughs> uh, let me... I'm, I'm, I may be missing, misunderstanding, but we got, we got it dubbed here. That dub happened to be owned by Saban, which also owns Power Rangers. Okay. They were eventually bought out by Disney, and that meant there were some complicated rights concerns such that the 2001 Robots in Disguise cartoon has never been released on DVD in the U.S. because uh, it's not something that Hasbro or its companies can lay claim to all of. Disney isn't really interested in making a deal. They don't think there's any money to make off of it, so it's been in limbo. The other thing that needs to be said about the original Robots in Disguise cartoon, I said it came out in 2001. It came out just before September 11th. And so, like, the second episode, or maybe it's even the first, has Megatron, the Megatron of that series, blasting through a building. This was considered far too traumatic for kids right after 9-11. So that episode didn't ever get rerun again. There was a lot of that kind of thing going on at the time. I remember in the Spider-Man movie, there was originally Spider-Man. was They digitally removed the Twin Towers. Yeah. yeah, because it was just way too sensitive in their minds or audiences to, to be able to it, remind it, it was before 9-11. It, it was. Came yeah. That's that's interesting, and that that really places it in the timeline. <laughs> you know, when you say nine eleven, that's everybody knows what that means exactly. So there were thirty nine episodes of that, and uh, we we did eventually get it over. Right, it, it was imported from Japan and dubbed. Is that how it worked? Oh, yeah. We saw the whole thing. It was on the Fox Kids station at the time. It was a return to uh, regular Autobot vehicle and. Decepticon vehicle forms. Uh, in the U.S., it was essentially a filler line because we didn't have to create a whole lot of new molds. In fact, I don't know if we created more, maybe one or two total, uh, but mostly we could reuse old molds that either hadn't been seen in a while or hadn't been seen in the U.S. at all. And that was a cost-saving measure for Hasbro while they figured out what to do next, how to bring the Transformers line forward. They had started work on something they were going to call TransTech that was going to take place after Beast Machines, but they threw those plans out entirely. TransTech never saw the light of day. We got the Robots in Disguise line instead, and after Robots in Disguise was done, they came up with Armada, the first truly new Transformers idea, almost entirely at Hasbro's initiative, although Takara also picked it up. and everything is new from here on out. Now, Armada was fairly successful, though, right? It was hugely successful. Yeah, it's, I, I remember that you know, really kind of being a big thing. Armada was a big thing. And I tell you what, this seems like a good place to put a pin, because this this um this is going pretty long. This is definitely going to be a two-parter. Okay. I imagined it would be a two-parter. It's definitely going to be a two-parter, because we have much to talk about still. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Uh, okay, so thanks everybody for joining us for this uh, week's episode of Big Geek Podcast. I uh, hope you found this episode very educational. I know I have. And uh, it, you know, now you see why we were uh, 
so keen to get Mark on the show because oh, of his knowledge Absolutely. of of the Transformers. Yeah. And uh, you know, for sure, tune in next week where we're going to continue this discussion. We're going to get into uh, much more prosperous times for the Transformers, I believe. And uh, so they're going to be much, much more ups than downs, I think, from here on out. Uh, so, but for this week, I've been Ron Avis. And I'm Nick Wright. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.